You are listening to an M Pavilion podcast, conversations about design and the world we live in. For more, visit our archive at library.mpavilion.org and subscribe wherever you find your podcasts. Welcome, everybody. We would firstly like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we are meeting this evening, the Boon Wurrung and the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We would also like to pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging, and extend that respect to other Indigenous Australians who are present or listening to this podcast. Welcome to M Pavilion this evening. I'm Simon Winkler, sadly Lauren Taylor away this evening. You can normally hear us together presenting Breaking and Entering on Triple R FM in Melbourne. But tonight, very much looking forward to bringing you the third and final in a series of talks that we've put together here for M Pavilion over the summer as part of their M Talks program called Wednesday Assembly. This Wednesday, we're assembled to hear from a panel addressing an essential M Pavilion theme. And for March, the theme is knowledge, shared learning, shared power. I feel extremely privileged to be joined by two extraordinary individuals whose life work really embodies the theme of knowledge, shared learning and shared power. We've asked Ajak Kwai and Namila Benson to join us for this discussion. We're hearing in detail how this theme, this ethos, this concept underlies the work that they do. We'll be hearing the individual and collective ways that they strive to educate, inform, and inspire others through song, storytelling, visual arts, and numerous other platforms. Sharing knowledge is, of course, one of the ways in which we strengthen connections and build communities. And each of our guests today are certainly committed to sharing culture and also to connecting communities, continuing storytelling traditions. Namila, Ajak, welcome to this particular evening's talk. Thank you so much, it's Simon. Such, such a privilege to have Thank you. Thank you. I would like to briefly introduce you, but as a starting point uh, to perhaps discuss a little bit more about your own reflections on the theme knowledge and how it relates to the work that you both are doing. Mindful that we do only have an hour, I'm reluctant to abbreviate the innumerable achievements that you both um, have accomplished in your life and your work, but also to acknowledge that to simply list the details is to miss a vital element of this evening's discussion, and that is that knowledge is not only things that are done, but also ways of seeing, ways of being, and ways of influencing others, and I feel like I really would like to acknowledge that both of you embody that as well. Ajak, you are an icon of Australian Sudanese music, and your songs are inspiring and soulful, infused with funky Afrobeats, which represent the depth and the richness of your South Sudanese roots. Music is the vehicle for your stories, as well as spoken word performances. Your extraordinary life experiences are captured as a refugee who has been exiled from your home and your family. These tales of exile, hope, freedom, love, and cows, beloved animals of the Dinka, reflect your optimism and belief in the best of human nature. <laughs> and uh, Namila, you are one of Australia's foremost arts and cultural conversationalists. It's such a pleasure to have you on the panel. A proud Talai woman <laughs> from the beautiful island of Rabaul in the East New Britain province of Papua New Guinea. You, of course, work across multiple public and media platforms, skillfully guiding vital conversations that explore race, culture, and identity politics through a creative lens. Last year, you authored the memoir Jack Charles, Born Again Blackfellow, and this year, you are the presenter and the producer of the weekly national visual arts program, The Arts Show, on ABC Radio National. Such a pleasure. I've spoken way too much. <laughs> I'd love to turn the, uh, turn the <laughs> microphone over to you. Okay. So, Namila, perhaps begin with you. When I invited you to come along, when Lauren and I sort of extended the invitation, can you tell us about your first reflection on the idea of knowledge and how it applies to your work? Sure. And I'd also like to start off by acknowledging that we meet on the traditional and stolen lands of the Bunurung people, and I pay my respects as well to their elders past, present, and emerging. So when you said uh, the word knowledge, I mean, there was a lot of great information you sent to me about where you'd like this conversation to go. Um, and it really got me thinking, Simon, about value systems and the kind of knowledge that we value 
the voices that we value, the experiences and the people and cultures and communities that we value. Because I think that's very much at the core of what drives the kind of work and the kind of narratives that I try to tap into and make space for and engage with. And I think, you know, it's very interesting. I started in radio 26 years ago um, and just seeing the shift that's happening at the moment and how, especially as a woman of colour, it is so joyous for me that I now see the value of my sisters who are joining us or joining me on the airwaves. And again, like, that wasn't a space that was easily accessible. And I understand that my privilege within that, of course, there's hard work, of course, there's research and preparation, etc., cetera, in, in terms of building your craft. But when it comes to knowledge, I feel like I wasn't anyone special within the communities and circles that I move in. But somehow, because... I speak with a broad, you know, like Aussie accent. I'm somehow more palatable. So my knowledge is a lot more valued in that way. And yeah, like knowledge is very much about racism. It's very much about pecking order. Um, and it's very much about a dominant culture of whiteness deciding who gets to step into a particular space in order to reach the masses. So I know that at times I have felt quite muzzled in a way that thankfully younger sisters are not muzzled um, to the same extent now. But yeah, there's been a lot of change and a lot of shifts that have been able to shape the kind of knowledge and insights and experiences and perspectives that I'm able to now bring to the airwaves and especially to do it on the national broadcaster. Like, you really have to toe the line. Um, it's dicey times and I don't need to go into why that is when we look at who is running the country. But, yeah, um, knowledge is... A, you got me thinking about a lot. Yeah, thank you so much. And I guess I also would like to extend that gratitude for your courage and determination and insight that you apply to all of the work that you do and the, the determination over the career that you have had across many, many platforms to, to not only share that knowledge in the face of all of those obstacles, but to open the way and to create opportunities for other voices to be heard as well. So, Yeah, I think the voices were always going to be there anyway. Like, I have really brilliant radio sisters, whether it's people like Arij, who's also on Triple R. There's Ayan, who's sitting here from 3CR, who's doing amazing work there. And I'm so incredibly pleased that Ajak is now on the airwaves as well. Like... There's finally a recognition and a value for knowledge and that makes me so incredibly happy because, I, you know, like you just need to switch on the radio and listen to any of these sisters and see their brilliance and the way that they shine and really are a beacon of light for so many within our individual and collective communities. And, um, yeah, I mean, we recognise as well that it's a privilege that we get to um, be in the spaces that we're in, but... Yeah, it's also about bloody time. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. You, you couldn't, couldn't be more right. And when we talk about knowledge and the sharing of stories, of course, Ajak, it is a privilege to be speaking with you about your own experiences and the ways in which you're sharing knowledge and experience through music, through your stories. It's said that as a child, you preferred listening to talking. Your incredible musical memory made you the songwoman of your South Sudanese village. And so you shared and stored a library of information and knowledge from the Dinka culture, which you are extending to others through your, your music and through your work. Can you talk about your experience of this and the stories that, and the knowledge that you are most interested in sharing with audiences? Very interesting, you know, we heard it a lot, like uh, when Amila Benson mentioned it, that, you know, the knowledge is just about who actually, the, which knowledge do you want to value? Mm. Which knowledge, which, which voice do you want to listen to? And I think it's one of uh, a difficult thing, uh, if you want to make your point across into the wider society, 
because the people who speak with an uh, accent, it's very hard for people not to dis dismiss you. And uh, so the knowledge is very important. Knowledge is just, uh, it, it, there is two knowledge, you know. You, you can go to university, there's academic knowledge. There is a, actually the knowledge that you, you learn from people, knowledge you learn from listening to people, the knowledge that you, you, you observe. And I think my, my knowledge is so rich because I have my background knowledge that where, where I come from, which I really know very well, and be outside a person in Australia to observe, to observe the, the new knowledge. And so to combine those knowledge, it's just a better, it's, it's make it very rich, my knowledge very rich. But what I know the best, you know, is about the, the knowledge I grow up with, if I can go back, is about, you know, it's about the community, listen to one another, it's about uh, respect, it's about people, people, voices, everyone have a share of the knowledge, you know, it's just not your own. You, ha you sit together and you share knowledge, you know, and, and that's how we, we, we live for hundreds of years where I come from. And uh, to be able to come here and the knowledge is actually is totally dismissed and all about, you know, like they not exist and be able to walk over people and, and, don't, and disregard whatever they know. It's, it's a kind of very, uh, very, very difficult to be able to have a confidence actually to, to get your message across because you... We slap in the face all the time, and I think the knowledge is about respect. It's not knowing very much, but it's about respect, respect people. It's about respect the knowledge as well. And if people know, like indigenous Australian, you know, they've got a, a huge knowledge, and we don't respect them. And nobody will want to listen to them, you know, because they, we kind of a tribal people, we are... We are seen to be, you know, primitive people. Nobody going to listen to them. This kind of uh, dilemma is between. It, it's really hard to put it together. But that is the knowledge I came from. Is the knowledge about sharing the knowledge with people, listen to, respect, and uh, yeah. Absolutely, and I know that in your own music and in your own work, you have collaborated with First Nations artists and have acknowledged the, the common ground in terms of the, the prioritization of certain forms of knowledge. And when you were talking before, Namilla, about the slow changes to the, the media landscape and the opening up for new forms of knowledge to be, to be heard, I was also curious about your own experience, Ajak, in terms of your music and your knowledge being heard and maybe your experience over the years working in different groups, how you found that maybe some of those obstacles have been overcome? Look, uh, uh, as I said this all the time, I tell myself, you know, uh, knowing too much as well, not in a term that I know better than anyone, but knowing too much is a burden. Uh, I remember when I first came here to Australia, I was so a very super happy woman. I was just, I never see any negative anything. And so that, that's a good thing as well. And, um, and to be able to, you know, to, to work with the different people and mix with the different people. There is, of course, when I say that, there is a lot of good things. There is a lot of good people around. But these good people also, they're the people we wanted in our side to be able to actually to help us to be able to, 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 to tell our stories. And for example, having said that Namila Benson is one of them working with in, indigenous people, included her because Namila is the one who made me come here today and uh, made me be a part of uh, uh, you know, the radio, community radio. If, if, if it wasn't for her, I wouldn't be able to think about it at all, to be able to put my feet, because I'd be freaked out. Mm. But she's the kind of a people that we need, uh, you know, in our community to be able to see some people like her. Is it just absolutely, you could see the brown faces at radio, 
it's because of Namila. There's no doubt about that. So what I'm saying that, you know, working with indigenous people, it, it, it's a good thing. It, it's the best outcome. And, and, it, and, and with other Australian people as well, it, 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 it will take time. But I think we're in a very crucial time. And uh, things are going back like they were before. And this is the time that we have to be very careful. And having said that, I, 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 we love Australia. There is so good people, more than the people uh, that we, I'm talking about. Don't listen to our voice. So my knowledge is, you know, working with different people and music as well, of course. It's, a, it's an eye-breaker, you know, the music. I don't even speak very much. I do music. That's what I do. That is my message to people. And people can take it. And, you know, and I don't have to talk. <laughs> well, m music can indeed be such a powerful way of, of sharing and exchanging. And I'd like to speak with both of you about that a little bit more. But Namila, of course, we've spoken about your radio, your journalism, your broadcasting, but of course, you're also very well known as a, as a selector, sister selector. <laughs> your work as a DJ is extensive as well, and music is such a powerful way of, of educating. Can you talk to us a bit about your experience with DJing, with music playing, and how your relationship to music has informed your relationship with knowledge and its, its transmission? Sure. Um, so I've hung up my selector hat. <laughs> once I had babies because um, ain't no one got time for that when you got to deal with nappies. Um, yeah, music was a place... So I grew up in a very white-bred suburb uh, of Camberwell, um, which is a very lovely, polite area, but it's incredibly Anglo-centric. And I think for me, music was the way that I was able to tap into um, an extended black community and to hear experiences and to see faces and even bodies that looked like mine. And I think that's the great thing about the role that music plays when it comes to sharing knowledge. And <clears throat> I think a really interesting thing and important thing to mention as well um, in fact, today on the art show, I aired an interview that I did with an incredible Māori sister, um, Kirsten Little. And she was talking about how when it comes to knowledge, there's just some knowledge that is not for everyone. And I think that's such an important thing for people to take away because um, there's an expectation, particularly with black communities, because, you know, in this world... Black culture's popping, but black people are not, you know, kind of thing. And <clears throat> there's an expectation that we are at other people's bidding, particularly white folks, to just hand over our culture. And I think that can be problematic sometimes in the music industry, um, partic particularly with so-called multicultural organisations. You know, here I can only speak to Victoria, but... Um, you know, there's this expectation that black um, cultures are expected to hand over their cultural knowledge and it's not put in any sort of a respectful context but it's rolled out as entertainment and, you know, when it comes to knowledge, it's, it's not supposed to be about that. Yeah. As a music as well, you know, sorry to interrupt it to you. As a music as well, music is seen, you know, the art itself, when it comes to black art, it's entertainment. And when you go to uh, other, you know, uh, art, it a better, it's a fine art. It, it's sophisticated. And, uh, and so that where you come from is about, we are the entertainers and the other people are very, Civilized, sophisticated, and I just don't know what that civilized means. So sorry to interrupt it here. No, that's totally fine. Um, but yeah, so for me, at a particular stage in my life, coming across music like Seal Johnson's, is it because I'm black? And you know, musicians were and artists were able to verbalize really big questions that, particularly when I was younger, I just didn't have. I lacked the knowledge because I lacked 
the language to be able to verbalise why I kind of felt some type of way when certain things would happen in my life. And I certainly didn't have a group of peers that I could talk to when my parents, as a lot of migrant parents, were really just trying to put food on the table, clothes on our back and trying to get their kids educated so they could exist um, within a system where only a particular type of knowledge is valued and it's really interesting. I totally agree with what Ajak was saying, you know, when <clears throat> people are imparting wisdom and knowledge but there's a non-Anglo accent and I see this with my dad who's someone that speaks six or seven languages, is incredibly accomplished. Like if you were to break down what knowledge means and how it's measured and like he does yeah he's he's incredible he's very very um highly intelligent but he's treated like a child like people kind of hear him talk and they end up talking slowly and like to the point that he'll turn to me in language and be like is this person okay like are they are they all right you know <laughs> Ajak is laughing <laughs> familiar <laughs> yeah so <laughs> No, please, of course. Sorry, I feel like I got totally off what your no, question was. but it is laughable and it, and it speaks to the, the lack of respect and also in terms of the fact that there is a sense of entitlement to knowledge that you were just referencing earlier, the idea that all knowledge is for everybody and that it's simply there to be exploited. But, of course, that's not the case at all and there needs to be a greater degree of respect in the exchange. Absolutely. And I feel like that's, a, that's such a, an important point well made. And when it comes to to your roles as educators. There is also, I feel, a degree of labor which is taken for granted, of course, in the sense that you are representing and educating uh, when people are sort of displaying willful ignorance or not necessarily educating themselves in ways that they ought to. And I feel I would like to talk to you a little bit about your reflections on that subject as a broadcaster and as, a, as public speakers, as public performers, how you are creating an environment or communicating, uh, how do you say, the values that you hold in terms of what is an appropriate way to transmit knowledge, if that makes sense. Do you want to... Do you want to take this one, Ajak, or...? Yeah. So, uh, but a good question. And um, particularly someone like me, you know, what happened with uh, uh, a lot of people you see, even in America, and which is, uh, uh, Australia is very far away from America, but I, I could see that coming to Australia, which is sad. You know, when you have, uh, particular people like myself are in danger, because the first thing people do, not not all people, but the minority people, they attack role models. When you want to defeat people, you attack those role models and make them nothing. And that, that, that's how it works. And uh, so you have to be, some, someone like me, I toured around Australia when I was younger. I went so far away, all far Queensland in Northern Territory everywhere in Australia, and, um, and I got attacked. People got a problem. I don't, I don't even think it's, a, it's a racism itself. It's like a bullying. And you, I, I got attacked. And so that is a defeat. It's to defeat people. It's to attack those role model and, and make them, you know, shut those feet shut. So you, you know, and so I've been struggling with that as well. And... And that took you away from your actual job? Do you, you want to just enjoy art or, or be in between the community? Because I think people like us are community break, uh, you know, break barriers. We, you know, we just want to create the bridges so people can, can come. Otherwise, the ghettos are created. When we got attacked, a lot of people are shrinking in their own community and they, because they don't want to deal with that. And, but that's how they left behind, and then the generation it doesn't change, and just continuing over and over. 
And uh, so I've been refused to do that. I've been really putting my feet down, and I said, well, we can't create another country within the, the country. If we wanted to live in Australia, we might just fight and, and, be, and be in, not to be scared and go and be hide, because that is a def uh, you defeated as well. So it very, it, 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 for me, it's really a difficult question to answer because this is how I felt. I felt like I'm fighting the war more than I should be doing the, the thing that I love the mm. best. Mm. Yeah. No, indeed. And it, yeah, an extraordinary struggle. And as you say, much harder than it, it should be. And there, mm. yeah, there needs to be a greater appreciation of that amongst, yeah. I think, audiences and, and certainly globally, but also especially locally amongst the audiences that you're performing to. Mm. And if I could rephrase slightly, Namila, because I know yes. it, was a, it was a very... No, <laughs> no, no, I, I get what you yeah. were asking. Mm. Um, and I guess about the labour of, mm. of stepping in and educating. Mm. Uh, I've got a colleague actually at the ABC, Beverly Wang, who uh, used to do a podcast on race and became the go-to person for all things to do with race, no matter what the cultural context. And her whole thing was to say, I am not the race whisperer. And I think that's how I feel. That's the stage where I'm at. Because, you know, the thing is too, when your communities are relying on you, as an educator, it takes a lot to hold space, you know, for other people so they feel safe and compelled to open up, to share really quite intimate and personal, deeply personal um, insights into their lives. And so often when it comes to sharing knowledge, my knowledge is not only around trauma and race and, you know, like there are so many elements to black folks that is just not acknowledged. And I think when it comes to sharing knowledge, like we don't always want to just step into spaces to talk about the one same thing over and over and over again. And it's like Melbourne has this really weird thing where you kind of have your um, go-to people who are the flavours of the month or the year or what have you. And I've been in that position. And yeah, it's just super boring and repetitive and laborious and there's only so many ways you can share knowledge around the kind of problematic things that I like to critique and look at like you know racism and um, white feminism all of that kind of stuff but it's kind of like I just want to say folks can't be acting like there's no internet <laughs> like you know I get asked questions sometimes and I'm like that's a Google search. Like, you don't need to come to me for that, bro, you know? But then again, with knowledge, it is this whole thing about, you know, the internet. Yes, there's so much information that's on there. You've got to be hyper-vigilant about how you add value to particular voices and, and perspectives. But, God, it's like a cesspool of misinformation as well. And... I think that's the danger when it comes to perceptions of valued knowledge. So well said, and such an important point to make as well. Absolutely, when the yeah, when the the broader perspective is missed, and as you say, that there's a repetition and a, a, a willful negligence in terms of pursuing one's own education and, and yeah. furthering the conversation. Absolutely, yeah. we see it at the moment happening globally, and just what's happening, you know, with so-called leaders in incredibly powerful positions, people have knowledge about how trash they have been and they still get appointed to positions of power and in doing so end up impacting, affecting, influence, influencing so many narratives. Like it's a very dangerous world that mm. we're in at the moment and particularly when they are literally handed incredibly value, valuable information and insights through scientific studies and research, etc. but then they're choosing to willfully ignore it. Mm. Like... Uh, which goes, I suppose, in many ways to the very heart of this conversation, and that is the importance of true knowledge, well-held, well-communicated, respectfully received and employed. And I guess that leads to a separate but related um, sort of question in terms of how we protect knowledge 
And as an educator, both in a public sphere and also privately, certainly as a broadcasting trainer for numerous organizations, you are uniquely skilled in the art of listening and creating the space for knowledge to be respectfully transmitted. And I would love to hear from you both, certainly as, as public figures, how do you protect knowledge and how do you ensure an environment in which knowledge can be preserved and, and sort of transmitted into the future? I mean, you become very adept at navigating who you will ha what you will hand over and to who. Mm. So, um, there's particular knowledge and conversations and dialogue I will only engage in with my extended black community and then that's fine-tuned again for my islander community and then once again for my Tolai community. I mean, you know, I think it's just a part of how folks are socialised. You know who to share what with. Um, but I've gotten a lot smarter. I feel like I used to hand over so much before um, in this kind of rose-tinted glasses way of thinking, oh, you know, if we share all this information, then we'll all benefit. We don't. Mm. Like, yeah, people can be very manipulative with how they use information. And I know that's part of getting older as well. But, yeah, I... <laughs> what were you going to add, Ajak? <laughs> yeah, so anyway, that, that's that on that yeah. for me. Absolutely. And how can we be better learners? How can we, I suppose, as, as audiences or as, as people in our general lives, how can we ensure that knowledge is a part of our daily lives and our daily practice? Because, of course, as a, as, an, as a professional communicator, you're seeking to... to uh, I, I don't want to use the word extract because that sounds really kind of manipulative, but you want to benefit the most number of people by having as open and as informative a conversation as possible. I'd love to talk to you about the arts of a good conversation in which knowledge is the priority. Uh, the good communication is when it's equal, you know, and if people... Uh, I think the, to, to, for technology is to listen as well. Listening is a very big part of uh, being able to protect knowledge because if you talk and you know what you're talking about, then that is, uh, that is a knowledge as well. Because a lot, of, a lot of us are caught up in... Uh, and actually, I, 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 I'm talking about uh, outsider as an observer. There is so much going on, and I just see, I, I just see and I just feel sorry for people, particularly the young, young people, because there is so much information you can take. And sometimes it's just easy to just put your hand up and say, you know what, I'm not, I'm not listening. I'm not doing anything about it. I just figure it out on my own. And uh, so knowledge is very important. If you want to find out the truth as, as well, it's a part of knowledge as well, don't just listen and, uh, and take the, for example, there are some media outlet, you know, misleading people a lot. And people just go along with it because people don't have a time, you know, people are kind of, Actually, people are, in my opinion, even coming from the third world, that we're supposed to be oppressed. I think people are oppressed in the first world. I think people are really controlled. That you know, the people are just take a day at it come, you know, to survive, go to work, come home, to go to work. There's no time for thinking. There's no time to find out the truth. So you just go with the flow. So it's a society issue. It's not individual issue. And if individualists try to to be able to to protect themselves, how are they going to do it? So true. The the importance of of reflection, of finding meaning uh, in the facts, not simply just gathering or collecting information, but actually having the time and the space to kind of process it and to employ it in your your daily life is really important. I was thinking when you were talking before, Namilla, about how much information is available to us through Googling or through online databases, but also how much wisdom is not there, I guess, in terms of what is missing from like a, a, 
uh, internet or information communication systems and the importance of seeking that elsewhere in, in our other communities, potentially? Yeah. I mean, you know, knowledge requires um, a very deep element of critical thinking and I feel like... You know, there's such huge shifts that are happening on so many levels, politically, culturally, socially, etc. But the conversations aren't really changing heaps. It's kind of, I feel like the right questions aren't being asked. And yeah, when it comes to kind of honouring the knowledge that others impart to you, as you were talking about um, just before... I mean, it's something that we all do as media makers is, is listening. Like, that is so key. And this whole thing where, um, you know, you have to put your defences down and be open to the possibility of different ways of being. And it's so rampant at the moment to the point that there's this toxic empathy deficit that is just plaguing humanity globally at the moment where... People are just not even open to that at all. And it's like, how do you only ever want your knowledge to go to a particular point in your life and that's it? Like, it's... I don't know what the answer to that is, but I see the defensiveness and the disrespect that is around so much critical dialogue that needs to happen, particularly in this country. And people are just not open to it. They're happy to believe you know, the Herald Sun and all these really problematic uh, social commentators and it's just like, and that's enough for them. They don't want to go and critique or anything like that. Exactly. They have a, an information uh, well that they draw from and they only seek further information which confirms their pre-existing viewpoints or That's beliefs. it. Yeah. And the greatest knowledge, uh, I always think discomfort has been my greatest teacher. Mm. Like I've been in really I've messed up really badly within with regards to particular communities and I feel like that's where my knowledge like it's a gift when someone has called me out I might not see it at the time um, I will lose sleep for goodness knows how many months just waking up thinking I can't believe I did or said that but there's something, there's a generosity in that as well, but you also have to be open to it. And I know that that is really, really hard, but this is the era we're living in. Mm. Like, we have the opportunity for us to evolve in so many important and poignant ways. And it's just, yeah, where, where things are happening. And so, with knowledge, I'm just like, I work in media. I don't even want to switch on media when... I'm outside of that sphere because it is overwhelming how our, our senses just get saturated with stupidity. Yes, absolutely. That's so true. But we can be very grateful that both of you are offering that enriching, nourishing, empathetic media which we so crave and so need to actually, as you say, change the conversation and move forward. I can't remember who the quote is attributed to. I think it might be Daniel Kahneman, the psychologist who says one of the greatest gifts that we can take from, from learning is to be less judgmental. When we learn more, we can empathise with other people. And uh, What's the key to that, though? How do we yeah. be less judgmental? Because I think that all the time. Mm. If people weren't shutting down others and, yeah, the, the dismissals and denials and disrespect... Like, could you imagine? Mm. <laughs> it's a delightful vision, but, yeah, it's certainly... There's a lot of evidence to the contrary in terms of our public discourse and lack of leadership in this area. But it, I have to say, sorry, I feel like I'm dominating space, sis. Um, <clears throat> I look at... I, so, I've got a six and a seven-year-old and I think about the kind of education they're getting at the moment and it is really incredible to see these young kids who not only are equipped with the language but also the context of why there needs to be a certain level of understanding with this or with that like there's a story that um, I actually told on another podcast where my mum uh, the last time she was in Australia was in 1987 so, a lot has changed since 87. And um, we were talking about a very, very adored and 
loved one of our family um, and this person is non-binary and trying to explain in language and English to my mother how to refer respectfully to this person. And, you know, like this conversation went on for ages and mum was asking all the right questions because she didn't want to get it wrong. But it was so interesting where there was a point when my mum said, um, so hang on, like if I say they, then is that not disrespectful because it's referring to more than one person? I, I don't understand. And my seven-year-old, who was only six at the time, stepped in. So grandmother in PNG is Bubble. And my seven-year-old uh, or six-year-old stepped in and said, Bubble, it's, it's not for you to understand. You just have to respect and that moment to me, like, until I cease to walk this earth, I will always remember that because he said something that is so important in this day and age and adults don't get it. And this six-year-old, because of, you know, like, the kind of education he's getting within the classroom now, which extends way beyond what was my understanding, you know, growing up, is just, like... That's where I think some really important change is going to happen. It's on so many levels. Like what I see they're learning in the classroom is so crucial to, to moving us forward. It's a beautiful illustrative story, absolutely. And also it speaks to an important point which perhaps we've been alluding to and that is the sense that knowledge changes. We of course have facts but we have a, a knowledge which is in flux and we need to be not only the custodians or the stewards of the knowledge of the past, but also be flexible in its, in its transmission into the future. I guess time is beginning to get away from us, but there are a couple of points that I want to ask you both about in terms of where this leads us, this idea that culture is shifting, knowledge is shifting, we have a new generations who are receiving and, and distributing this knowledge. Perhaps from both of your perspectives, what are some of the key, I suppose, developments or changes in the conversation that you would like to see and some of the encouraging signs that you feel that maybe there is hope for that to take place? Potentially to start with you, Ajak. Yeah, there is so good, you know, that having said what I said before, there are so many good things, you know, people can, uh, a, a younger generation can get it up to them. And, uh, but they need a guide, as you said, you know, because where I come from, you know, the the older the older uh, uh, people are respected because they're the one carry the knowledge to give it to the younger one and uh, so I guess uh, the parents are try their best to be able to you know to give their children knowledge to be able to find their way in the world and uh, so not only that you know the world is getting a little bit uh, I'm not being negative here I just be realistic uh, the the world is a little bit getting interesting, and uh, and I think it's very it's crucial that the young people will you know have to to be equipped very well to be able to cope with what's going to come. And um, but of course, overall, there is all you know. People overcome, you know. People overcome any problem. There is no problem that people cannot unless they don't want to. And I think there is so many good, uh, amazing thing in in this uh, country that people can can achieve what they want to do, and uh, with the help of the knowledge that would yeah. And certainly the the music that you are making, the stories that you are telling, encourage that unity and that empathy, which will overcome some of the bigger sort of institutional structural obstacles that we've been talking about to to knowledge, and um, and the Miller, perhaps if you were also able not to not to sort of introduce any false hope or expectations, but I guess just reflecting on that story that you told about the idea that there are changing perspectives and perhaps how through your work in media, you, are, you would like to see those conversations evolve. Yeah, uh, and look, I mean, um, I illustrated that point about how the next generation coming through with my kids, you know, I think that's going to be <clears throat> a huge turning point for us as a civilization, and, and the thing is, you know, knowledge is how cultures evolve. So we're definitely shifting into different times, but I will probably just take it right back to the start when Ajak 
said that knowledge is about respect, you know, and I think having that openness um, and definitely I, I know that I sit uh, or I have sat within some really difficult and hard conversations and they've been sold out, they've been packed out. Um, so there's a need for these conversations but I... I don't know, I worry sometimes that I'm preaching to the converted. So what do you think? How do we reach those who are on the fringes of evolving into a, a better place, a better world, a better existence for others? What do you think the key is? Oh, wow. It, uh, that is very interesting. I, I think there is a hope in the humanity. A lot of people... I, I used to have a hope, you know, when I first came here and I hear about all this problem back in Africa, you know, how black people are oppressed all over the Western world, and I was, and in Africa as well. And I was just saying this, you know, young people are going to grow up, they will come with a great idea, they will not like what the, there's, you know, the grandparent did or whatever, they will be totally different. I always say that I have a hope in young people to be able to change the world. But then again, you, you hear that little girl who call Adam good, good is in a, in a field, and, uh, and there is, you know, that little girl, she, she was innocent. She just say what she heard, you know. And so, yet again, we have parents like, uh, you know, people I don't want to mention them, but they, for example, the, the president, you know, in, in, he... he People follow him. What kind of what kind of people? What, what I was so shocked when I heard about it. I said, "What is the crucial thinking of uh, the Western civilization? Where are they? The thinkers of the Western civilization? Where are they?" I used to say that all the time. Where are they? And here in Australia as, as well, I said, "Where are they? Where are the thinkers? Where are they? you know?" And so it very um, it it very. Uh, it's, it's difficult to, to know what's going to happen. But I think I still have a hope in young people. But this is the thing, sis. Like, do we reach out to those uh, or continue to share space with those who are respectful or do we reach out to those who are resistant? Uh, those who are resistant because that is... Uh, see, as someone, you know, people attack people, for example, like Pauline Hanson... I like her because you know where she stands. <laughs> I shouldn't say her name. You can. Do. I like her because you, unless you know, you could avoid her. Right. Okay. But you know there are dangerous people. You know that you don't see that the problem. And um, but who make we give them a power? Is some somebody uh, uh, was my friend? They said, "Oh, we don't like people like that." I said, "Well, who brought them in?" It's true, though. You we give them the power. Yeah. So you just shoot the messenger. Yeah, it's a, it's a hard one. I grapple with that a lot. Like, you even look at, the, yeah, yeah, like the president of the US talking about grabbing someone's pussy and he still gets voted in. Mm. It's like, you have the knowledge yeah. that he, you know, and it was a lot of white women that voted for him and you're just like... That could have been your daughter he was talking about. Like, yeah, anyway. So these people, we're not going to change their mind because that is where they are. These are where, this is where their market, you know, the media people, they are absolutely, this is where they get this glorious from it. And actually one time I did say to someone, we were doing this training at Melbourne, was uh, 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 we were mentoring, uh, writing stories at Melbourne University, and one time we, we make an appointment with someone, I don't want to mention his name, and we went to the office, and uh, his manager agreed, and we went to the office. We want to, uh, we want to talk to him. Why you write what, what you, you wrote? And we, were, we went there with uh, people from uh, uh, Melbourne, and, uh, and he disappeared in the office. And we were there, you couldn't have a face to come and talk to us. And uh, so these people, they don't want to listen. Uh, they act like the Australian godfathers, but actually they're just building their own, their own empire. So it's nothing to do with Australian people, that's what I, I think. 
So you can't win those guys. They just do what they like to do because they want to build their egos. So we can't read them. It's, it, my problem is with a normal Australian people. Why they let this happen? Why they let people like us beat up? You know? Why they don't stand with us? That is my problem. I have a problem with those people, not the one. Yeah, absolutely. An excellent point. And the question that you raised, Namela, about what is in terms of a, a generalized solution to be done is, is as you say, a, an all-consuming and, and a hugely perplexing one. Not, again, to sort of draw too much upon a hope for, for generational change, but certainly from what I understand in terms of uh, voting patterns by demographic, there is a, a generalized trend toward more progressive or, or democratic ideals among younger voters and potentially not to claim any authority in political commentary sphere, but the, too. The, the, um, the recent election results in Ireland also sort of indicating that amongst a larger voting population of younger people, there is a sort of a, an indication of a desire for ideological shift away from sort of uh, close-mindedness or authoritarianism. But I guess an important question to continue to challenge, isn't it, and to, to raise. Um, We've probably only got really a few minutes left. I would like to open to the floor. Any questions or comments of anyone who uh, is here, please feel free to raise their hand. Uh, otherwise, we will conclude. Uh, unless, of course, we have spoken this evening with Ajak and Namilla about knowledge, about sharing knowledge, and through that transmission about sharing power, talked a little bit about the challenges that we face, the the entitlement that many people feel towards knowledge and how that respect needs to be a big part of the conversation. As to where we, we go, that is, that is a, a big question and hopefully that, that knowledge will be available to us in the future as of course the body of knowledge of all of humanity sort of evolves. But if we are to be heading into the direction of, of a greater degree of empathy, then it is very largely thanks to the work of both of you through your incredible broadcasting and incredible public speaking and the sharing of your art and your music. So we sincerely thank you for that. And um, that brings us very much to the end of the third Wednesday Assembly. Uh, this is the final in this series. Uh, thank you so much to our guests this evening, Ajak Kwai and Namilla Benson. Please join me in a round of applause. Thanks so much, Simon. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, thank you very much to the team at M Pavilion for making this possible. And thank you to our lovely audience for joining us this evening as well. You are listening to an M Pavilion podcast, conversations about design and the world we live in. For more, visit our archive at library.mpavilion.org and subscribe wherever you find your podcasts.